Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me encourage you to mark that passage in your scriptures and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 2. I love the church. I love the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, the assembly of believers. Now, if you look up the word ecclesia in the New Testament, you will discover that it is used in a couple of different ways. One way it's used is just an assembly of citizens, those who are discussing the affairs of the state. Acts chapter 19 uses it in this way as people came together just to talk about the affairs that they were dealing with. Also in Acts chapter 19, it is used to refer to as a riotous mob, as people gathered together to try to squelch the gospel. But as you study the New Testament, the word ecclesia is used of believers' congregations some local and some universal, some 79 times. These believers are assembled ones, called out ones, believers who are indwelt, set apart for the honor and glory of our God. Saved, separated, sanctified saints. I love the church. I love this body of indwelt believers who are called together to honor and glorify our God. I love the truth that we are sanctified in Christ for worship, work, and witness, and the wonder of our God. I love the church. This morning we are going to look at two different passages, one in Ephesians chapter 5 and one here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are going to recognize that God has called his people to be a separated people. And that God has called his people to be a sanctified people. Now in 2017, we studied 1 Peter. And we recognize that we indeed are living stones. We are those that are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Peter is writing this epistle to elected exiles, travelers, sojourners, strangers, who are still called to live out the wonder of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus Christ in their lives. I want to direct your attention to verses 9 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to ask the Murphy family to, to read this passage of Scripture for us this morning. Brian? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thank you so much. 
Now, I want you to underline in your Bibles this phrase, that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we are to walk in love. We are to walk carefully. We are to walk filled with the Spirit. And in verse 8 of chapter 5, we are told, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 John chapter 1 tells us, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're told in Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does that do to our lives? Titus continues to say, teaching us, teaching us that we are to live out that gospel in a holy way that represents the wonder of God. Why? Because we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Peter identifies that calling as he helps us understand who we are. In verse 9, we're told, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And in verse 10, we're told that we are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to think about that with me for a moment, will you please? We are a chosen people. Now, this might cause our heart, heads to swell just a bit. But may I remind you that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Bible says that God chose Israel not because of who they were or because of what they had done, but God chose them simply because he loved them. You know, that is the only reason God chose you, God chose me. He chose us simply because he loved us. First John chapter 4 says, we love him because he first loved us. Not only are we a chosen people, a chosen race, but we are a royal priesthood. Verse 5 of First Peter chapter 2 tells us that we are a holy priesthood. And that allows us to offer up prayers, bring spiritual sacrifices, share the scripture, teach the truth. Because that is what God has called us to do. We are a holy nation. We've been set apart, sanctified, if you will. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. As people that God wants to visibly use to proclaim the wonder of who he is. And then Peter says we are a people of his own possession. King James says we are a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean that we're odd or strange in any way. But it does mean that we are a purposed people. We are a people of a higher calling. We own a higher standard. We are committed to Christ-likeness as disciples, followers of Christ. We are a people of God.
God's possession. You know, sometimes it's the possessions of rich and famous people that makes things so valuable. Napoleon's toothbrush, can you imagine? Once sold for $21,000. President Kennedy's golf clubs once brought $772,000. And it wasn't the toothbrush and it wasn't the, the golf clubs. It was the backstory, who it belonged to. May I remind you that you and I belong to God? We are His. We are called to live according to His purpose. And why is that so wonderful? Again, verse 10. We are people who have received mercy. God not giving to us what we do deserve. As a result, we are uniquely and exclusively cared for by God. And that truth ought to make all the difference in the world so that we might know how to respond in difficult times in our lives. Charles Wesley penned these words. He left his father's throne above. So free, so infinite, his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For, oh my God, you found out me. Amazing love. How can that be? That thou, my God, would die for me. We are people who have received his mercy. I love the church because we are a separated people. And I love the church because we are a sanctified people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the believers at Corinth, and he calls them the church of God. And then he says to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. The word sanctified is used some 60 times in Scripture. And it means dedicated, consecrated, declared to be. In the Old Testament, God blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath. And the Scripture tells us that he sanctified it. In Exodus chapter 13, God consecrated, King James sanctified the firstborn. As we move into the New Testament, the word means to set apart as holy, as righteous, as pure. In Matthew chapter 25, the gold for the temple was set apart. The sacrifices for the altar were set apart, sanctified before a holy God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're told that even an unbelieving spouse is sanctified set apart. John's Gospel chapter 10 tells us that the Father consecrated, King James sanctified, 
Jesus as he sent him into the world as the Son of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we are reminded that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh us the reason of the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. Now, I need to remind you that sanctification is not the eradication of the sin nature. It's not becoming sinless in this body. But sanctification is that setting apart of God's people for his purpose. I'm going to ask a couple of our students now to, to read for us Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 26-27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are to be sanctified, set apart for a specific purpose, separated from the world, but separated unto Jesus Christ. Now, as you understand sanctification in the New Testament, you quickly discover that there are three ways that we are sanctified. We are sanctified positionally. We are sanctified permanently, and we are being sanctified progressively. Positional sanctification is we have been sanctified. It reflects our relationship with God, a relationship that we have by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's part of the work of our salvation. It's the work of God as he has made us holy through the redemption, the purchase of his son, Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 we read, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, at the moment of salvation, a number of things take place. First of all, we become children of God. The Bible tells us that those who believe in Christ become part of the family, are adopted into the family as children. We also receive the comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and our bodies become the temples of the Holy Spirit, which is of God. We're to be new creatures, new creatures in Christ, and old is supposed to pass away, and new is supposed to come. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that we are citizens of, of heaven, and we have been given a commission, a commission to go into our world and disciple all nations teaching them to observe all things that Jesus taught us, recognizing the wonder of his work in our lives. And we've been chosen. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart in Christ. We also discover the permanent sanctification. We will be sanctified. 
This is consummation of our being set apart. This is completed when we are glorified. We are in heaven. We realize the promise that he will come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, we are God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're told, We'll not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, where the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised and we shall be changed. And what will that change look like? Well, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortal body will put on immortality. And we will understand that death is swallowed up in victory. And then Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wonder of permanent sanctification. But the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, between positional sanctification and permanent sanctification, there's a lot of living to be done. And we call that progressive sanctification. We are being sanctified. This is the great growth process of the Christian life. You see, Paul in identifying the wonder of Christ and the church identifies the process that God wants to see in our lives. Challenged, changed, conformed as Christ-like disciples and living out the character of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, For those he foreknew, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul identifies those who have departed from the faith. They've made marriage something that God never intended it to be. They've taken certain foods and promoted them to a position that God never intended. And Paul tells Timothy that God made everything holy. Why? Because he sanctified it by his word and through prayer. Very quickly, I want to share with you three steps that you and I need to take in order to realize progressive sanctification in our lives. The first step is we need to digest the canon, the Word of God in our lives. Now, the word canon means read or measurement, a standard. 
In the Old Testament, we have 39 books that have been collected together to give us God's Word. And in 450 B.C., during the reign of Artaxerxes, these 39 books were identified as, as being the Word of God. In the New Testament, we need to take 27 books. And it was at the Council of Rome in 382 A.D., that these books were set aside as the Word of God. Now, at that council, there were four areas of consideration. Number one, was it written by an apostle or an author of special revelation? Number two, were the contents that which we read in these books giving us revelation by nature? I think... It's interesting that at that Council of Rome was when the Apocrypha was eliminated from the Scriptures. Number three, was it accepted by the church? Did the church identify the words of, of these books as being given from God? And number four, were they considered to be inspired? Or did they give evidence of inspiration and so we have the collection the canon that was given to us by a standard that identified these 66 books 39 old testament 27 new testament as the word of god paul writes in second timothy all scripture is breathed out and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That it might affect our lives. That the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God might be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. Jesus said in John chapter 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is true. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we read that the, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Peter challenges us as newborn babes long for the spiritual milk of the word. In Matthew chapter 13 Jesus shared a parable. Now a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it's the parable of the soils and you're familiar with that parable. There were four types of soils. There was the path, the hard ground. There was the rocky ground that had no depth. There was the thorny soil that choked out the sea. And there was the good ground. And as the sower went forth to sow, some of his seed fell on the path. And the scripture says the birds of the air came and devoured that seed. And it had no fruit. Some of it fell on rocky ground. And as it tried to root itself, there was no depth, and therefore it perished and brought forth no fruit. Some fell among thorns. And as the seed grew and matured, the thorns choked it out and did not allow the seed to produce what it was intended to produce. But some 
Some fell on good ground and produced a hundredfold increase, a sixtyfold increase, a thirtyfold increase. Now I want to ask you, what does the Word of God do to your life? How do you receive the canon? scriptures how do you respond to it if we are going to be set apart and know how to live that out in our lives it begins with the word of God there's a second truth that we need to understand not only does it begin with the canon but it also demand, uh, demands communion with God prayer our speaking to God the wonder of our God Edwin Keith has said, prayer is exalting the spirit of man and, and inhaling the spirit of God. The key to any relationship is communication. And that is so necessary if we are going to continue to grow and be challenged and changed and conformed as Christ-like disciples into the character of God's son in Exodus chapter 33 we are reminded that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend oh I desire that kind of relationship and James chapter 2 reminds us that Abraham was a friend of God I long to have a close, intimate relationship with my heavenly Father that allows me to commune with Him and share with Him and recognize what He wants to accomplish in my life. I love music. Music stirs my heart. It enriches my soul. It touches my emotions. Now, I have a very eclectic taste of music. And I like all kinds of music genre. I like the newer songs and, and choruses. I like the classics. I like the old hymns. I like any kind of music that has great theology and shares in my life great truth. William Walford was a blind lay preacher in Coles Hill, Warwickshire, England. And he penned these words. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne, makes all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and off escaped the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer now i'm sure that you have your favorite hymn or chorus or classical christian song and we love to to sing those things and reflect on them but i wonder what is the reality in your life. So many times we sing sweet hour of prayer, 
but we're just content to spend a few minutes before the throne. We sing onward, Christian soldiers, but we wait to be begged and pushed into the Lord's service. We sing, oh, for a thousand tongues, without using the one tongue that we have to proclaim the wonder of our God. We sing, blessed be the tie that binds, and allow a little offense to break that tie. We sing, serve the Lord with gladness. And then we gripe about all we have to do for our Lord. We sing, I love to tell the story and never mention it to our friends and family. We sing, cast thy burden on the Lord and yet worry ourselves into nervousness and, and fear. We sing the whole world for Jesus, but never invite our next door neighbors to come to church or share with them the gospel. Communion, a time in which our souls are enriched and melt together with the wonder of our God. Communion in prayer. But we also need to cultivate our lives. We need to grow. We need to allow God to work in our lives. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. Now let me stop right there. Though Paul had not achieved spiritual perfection, he had a blessed discontent that motivated him to pursue it. And then Paul says, this one thing I, I do Forgetting what is the past, I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, Paul had recognized that anything that he had gained needed to be counted lost for Christ. And even his suffering, the, the loss of all things, he counted as rubbish so that he could gain Christ. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, we need to desire the pure milk of the word. We need to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to speak the truth in love. Yes, we are separated. And that's part of the sanctification process. For Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Ephesians chapter 4, Put off the old self, which is corrupt. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new man, which after God is created in his own likeness. Romans tells us that we are to present our bodies living sacrifices acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service. What is your next spiritual step? 
what do you need to do to be a Christ-like disciple? What growth needs to take place? What work of God in your life needs to happen? Progressive sanctification. The canon, the Word of God. Communion, prayer, the wonder of God. And cultivating the growth process in the work of our God. I love the church. I love the ecclesia, the assembly, the called out ones, the saved, sanctified saints. I love the church, the body of indwelt believers who are called together to honor and glorify God. Those who are sanctified, set apart in Christ for worship, work, witness, and the wonder of their God. Oh, I love the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul prays for the believers. We've studied some of the powerful words in that passage of Scripture. Paul reminds the believers, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. He encourages them to quench not the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every evil. And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul gives to to us these words. Will you read them with me, please? Now the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I love the church. Because it's his church, and he has called us out as his people.